Welcome to the Cover 2 with Philip Jordan. Philip and friends break down the latest news in college and professional football every week. So let's get this thing started and snap the football. Hut, hut, hike. Welcome in, everybody, to Volume 15 of the Cover 2. I am your host, Philip Jordan. Thanks for checking out the show and making it a part of your day. Have a fantastic show planned for you guys today. Uh, not one, but two fantastic guests on this edition of the show. I'm going to be joined by Rick Saratella, founder of the NFL Draft Bible. He will be on. We're going to talk quarterbacks and I'll be joined by Bill Bender from the Sporting News to take a look at the Ohio State, Alabama, and Auburn spring games for this weekend. And we're going to look at the SEC and the ACC a little bit there. And also got some thoughts on some stuff going around football in quick slants. Before we get on that, let you guys know you can follow me on Twitter at PJordanFootball. You can find the show on Twitter at Cover2Show. Uh, you can find the show on Facebook. Very easy to find. Just look up the Cover2 football podcast and uh it's very easy to find so go check all that stuff out uh subscribe the show on apple podcast google play music you check it out on soundcloud spotify spreaker tune in and youtube if you're on apple podcast like i said subscribe please rate and review if you leave a review for the show we'll read it on a future edition of the podcast so go ahead and do that really appreciate it. it helps the show out when you do that and remember check out all my work over at last word on college football should be expecting some auburn a day articles coming up here pretty soon anyways guys let's talk some nfl draft with rick saratella from the nfl draft bible all right buddy we are getting closer and closer to the nfl draft and join me right now to talk about the quarterbacks that are going to be hearing their name called in this year's NFL Draft is Rick Saratella. Uh, he is the founder of the NFL Draft Bible. Uh, Rick, thanks uh, for taking out the time today and being on the show. Hey, I appreciate you having me here. And you know what? The, the Jersey accent, the Alabama accent, it's going to make for a beautiful podcast. Hey, this is nothing. I have had uh, <laughs> a couple years ago on another podcast I used to do. I had myself and a guy from Canada talking about the Canadian Football League. And so that accent difference was a real big deal. So, uh, yeah, this is, this is good. Uh, that was, that was different for me going back and listening to it, editing that show, uh, the difference in accent. So you're all good. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate it. And, uh, it's always nice to be, you know, talking football down south and, you know, looking forward to digging into these quarterbacks. It's going to be really intriguing to see how and where they come off the board. Yeah, you know, before we jump into that, just to tell listeners about the NFL Draft Bible. Yeah, you know, I started the NFL Draft Bible in 2002. Uh, this is our 18th year covering the draft. You know, we brought back our publication, which was, you know, from 2002 to 2010. We were a, a hard copy publication that was used by all the NFL teams. We brought that back this year, partnered up with the good old folks over at NFL Draft Scout. And uh, yeah, if you log on to the NFLDraftScout.com, up there in the menu bar, you can uh, download your copy of the 2019 NFL Draft Bible. We've got 400 scouting reports, 1,000 player, uh, players ranked, rankings for 2020 and 2021. And, you know, long story short of it, we, we run our operation just like an NFL team. We've got scouts all over the country, uh, you know, covering different regions. And, you know, di director of scouting, uh, college scouting, Joe Everett, is handling all that while uh, we get our information out to the masses. So I appreciate the plug and you know it'll be the best ten dollars 
college. If you're a draft nick, if you're a draft nerd, if you're a draft geek like me, and you're just thirsting and craving for information on these guys, go get the draft Bible. What we do is promote the, the day two, day three, even the undrafted free agent guys. Uh, because a third of every NFL roster consists of NFL undrafted free agents. So we make sure to cover those guys too. Yeah, you know, you talk about the quarterbacks. Just, you know, looking at this year's class overall of all the quarterbacks when you compare it to last year, how much do you see of a drop-off between what we had in last year's draft and this year's? Well, for me personally, I think, you know, Josh Rosen is being talked about a second round pick and maybe a second and a fifth but hey for me if I need a quarterback I'm going to take them up on that offer because for me if Josh Rosen was in this year's draft he'd be my number one ranked quarterback so you know we're reaching this year we're trying to make it work we're trying to you know find traits that are appealing to being a franchise quarterback and it's tough and, you know, you've got to be willing as a general manager to put your reputation on the line, to put your job security on the line and say, this is my guy. Because we all know when you draft a quarterback in the first round, you are putting your job on the line. You're saying, hey, I believe this is the guy that's going to hoist the Vince Lombardi trophy. And when I take a look at this year's draft class, while a Kyler Murray could work, there's a lot of questions. While Dwayne Haskins had a great season there's a lot of questions and you know guys like drew lock we've seen it in the past where blake bortles and uh blaine gabbert even a christian ponder they get first, they get pushed into the first round due to need uh you know the, there's not enough good quarterbacks to go around i think that's where drew lock and daniel jones fall in this year's draft class they would not be talked about in the first round in my opinion if they were in last year's draft. So we should stand up and applaud last year's draft class absolutely for their short body of work and limited success, but we will see where they're at five years from now. we got to reserve judgment on that. But, hey, got to like what you saw, the flashes from Sam Darnold. Got to like what you see in Josh Allen. Got to see uh, how Josh Rosen pans out. A lot of people are down on him. But I do think that he can rebound and succeed. And, you know, you hear a lot of different teams where he might go uh, to be determined. So, hey, you know, I think last year's draft cl- class, obviously, much stronger. And, you know, this year we're going to see just how much the NFL teams need some quarterbacks because not only are there a lot of franchises that need quarterbacks, there's a lot of organizations whose quarterbacks are going to retire in the next couple of years so hey just a big big need and not enough supply for the demand yeah because i mean eventually tom brady's going to retire and the patriots are going to have to find another quarterback maybe not anytime soon i don't know with tom brady he's a different animal but you're right i mean sure. obviously you got steelers with roethlisberger the packers with aaron Rodgers, the new orleans saints with breeze it's it's crazy how Phillip many rivers eli, eli manning uh, you know there's a lot of guys out there i mean if you we did something Two years ago, where you know we you know we did twenty twenty vision, where we predicted the top players at each position, and you know if you t- if you fast forward to twenty twenty, I mean guys like Philip Rivers and Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger, even Tom Brady, you want to throw into the equation? I mean, Philip, how many of these guys are actually going to still be playing? So it's going to be interesting. 
most definitely, you know, you're talking about, you brought up Eli Manning, and that's one of the teams that, you know, you see a lot. People talk about they if they would take a quarterback in the first round. Of course, they didn't do it last year. They went ahead and went with Saquon Barkley. But you look at the, the two quarterbacks that are mentioned at the top, and that's Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins. Uh, I personally like both. I'm kind of with you what you're saying. They both have skills, you know, that could translate to NFL and be good quarterbacks. But which of the two to you sticks out better? And if you were a GM, which one would you take? Well, you know, I think if you're talking about the Giants specifically, um, you know, Eli Manning has got what I call Drew Bledsoe dancing shoes on. You know, he's he's got cement feet. So for me, you know, I would probably not draft Dwayne Haskins because guess what? He's a pocket passer, uh, terrible, you know, 40 time there at the combine we saw. Although I think he's actually maybe a little bit better athlete than Eli. But again, you just don't want a pocket passer last year. I think 47 sacks, a career high in 15 years of his NFL career, Eli Manning was sacked more than any other season. So if the Giants were to draft a quarterback, which I don't think they will, um, I would I would lean more towards a Kyler Murray, and that's because he can improvise and he can move. But, you know, to, to elaborate on your question, you know, this goes for any team that wants to select Kyler Murray, which it looks like, you know, I just picked up the uh, the odds over here. They got the legalized sports gambling over here at the Meadowlands in New Jersey, right next door to Giant Stadium or MetLife Stadium, I should call it. And Kyler Murray's a uh, heavy favorite. I mean, it's it's 12, you got to bet $1,200 to win back 100. Uh, you know, the fact that Kyler Murray is going to be the number one overall pick. So it's the NFL's worst kept secret. But say, you know, the Oakland Raiders are interested if the if the Cardinals don't pull the trigger. Just like Marcus Mariota a few years ago, if you select this man, well, now you've got to build the offense around him. You have to have that moving pocket. You have to allow him to have that uh, improvise, you know, make plays on the fly type of mayhem, which quite honestly was a similar type of prospect on the field to a Johnny Manziel. And we saw how that worked out. Now, you know, Murray went up from 197 to 212 to kind of, um, you know, he, you know, quiet the naysayers who question his durability. Can he last an entire season? So that remains to be seen, but it also, you know, has to be a factor and, and consideration like, hey, how many hits is this guy away from wanting to go play baseball? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, this guy is five foot nine and seven eighths, uh, 200 pounds. And, you know, how many concussions does it take? How serious of an injury does it take where this guy can go and make a lot of money playing baseball? So there's a lot of factors to weigh when you select the Kyler Murray. I will say, you know, going back to Dwayne Haskins, the one interesting thing is, you know, you have to take a look at the history. And oftentimes, as a country, uh, we repeat history, right? We fail to recognize our mistakes. And, you know, the thing about Haskins is if you take a look back at the past 30 years and the success rate of starting college quarterbacks who started for just one season the success rate is very poor and very low and you know phil i don't know how old you are i just turned 39 i remember the bill parcells criteria 
and, and, and even the Bill Walsh formula for selecting a quarterback, I won't get into because you're, you know, I'll probably bore your listeners. But, you know, if you take a look at the past three decades, college quarterbacks who have started just one season, the most successful case studies we have to go off of are Mitchell Trubisky and Mark Sanchez. The Sanchez. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm 32, so I, I, I'm kind of yeah. I, I don't remember many. I think Trubisky actually, for how he's played just his two years, may be the most the biggest success story. Because you're right, you don't see that often, guys. Only that one year. I, it seems like the quarterback position, out of any position, is the most valued with experience. Mm-hmm. I agree, and you know, just to kind of touch base on some of those Parcells criteria. I think it was something to the effect of, you know, 38 starts, a minimum of 30 wins, a minimum completion percentage of 67%, a minimum uh, average yards per pass of 7.0, and uh, Kyler Murray's is actually, I think, 11.1, which I've never seen in 18 years of covering the draft. I've never seen a quarterback with a uh, higher yards per, per attempt and Kyler Murray, he he actually averaged 11.6 yards per pass attempt and then 7.2 yards per rush attempt. So, I mean, talk about a dual threat. You could argue, you know, he ran this Lincoln-Riley offense uh, just as good or, or even more efficiently than a one Baker Mayfield did. So I think that's why, you know, here in 2019, more than any other season, and I've told uh, uh, several quarterback prospects coming out in this year's draft class. I said, "Hey, you know, the undersized quarterback." I said, "Hey, it's a it's a good year to be a short quarterback because <laughs> you know the the barriers that Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson and Michael Vick have you know broken down those barriers and created opportunities for guys like uh, Kyler Murray." Um, we so we just talk about two quarterbacks that. We're limited in experience. Now, Drew Locke. Now, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a little familiar with him because now here in SEC. Now, I'll just get your take on him. Now, he started pretty much for four years there, struggled early, really, his first year, got better as it went on, was under Josh Heupel's offense coordinator. Then Derek Dooley came in this past year to be his offense coordinator. Now, you know, just look at his numbers. He did drop in touchdowns and yards, but his completion percentage did go up. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I, I know a narrative here, you know, in SEC country i guess you would say is drew lock against good teams because it seemed like he was always filling it up against bad sec teams and non power five teams but the florida game last year solid defense he threw for 253 touchdowns so when you look at drew lock how what is your read on him you know i i like the upside and i like the potential and i think all the tools are in the toolbox there to work with however this goes back to our opening monologue where you know when you select a quarterback in the first round you're expecting him to be the franchise quarterback now how soon are you going to hand drew lock the keys to your offense because to me i i think he can be successful but i think if he gets thrown to the wolves too early he he's going to struggle but the longer he can sit the longer he can learn and you know, to me, Denver is still a logical choice. And I, I know a lot of people think just because they traded for Joe Flacco and and all that, that, you know, maybe they won't take a quarterback. But to me, 
I actually like Drew Locke's chances to succeed so much more if he can sit behind a guy like Joe Flacco for a season or two or even a year and a half and kind of learn from a guy. And, and, and I say that because, you know, you you talk to Drew. I, I've spoken to Drew. Um, you know, I've, I've been involved with a lot of media Q&A sessions with him. And, you know, he likes to compare himself to a Brett Favre and a Patrick Mahomes. But, you know, I, I hate to break it to him. He's just not <laughs> that. Um, however, his arm strength is as strong, if not stronger, than any quarterback in this year's draft class. So you can't teach the kind of arm strength. He can make all the throws. He can fit the ball through tight windows. So you can't teach that. However, it's going to drive a coach nuts. A GM's going to love it. You know, a GM's going to love his arm talent. But it's going to drive a coach nuts because part of the deal is you got to live you got to learn to live with these back foot throws, these side angle throws, these these throws across the body, these opposite hash throws that are just so dangerous in the NFL. And, yeah, you can get away with that at the collegiate level. It's just not going to fly in the NFL. And that's why I say, hey, if you can get him, you know, I think they tried to be patient with Paxton Lynch, but, again, he was a first-round pick. They threw him into the fire. He failed miserably. Um, I don't think Paxton Lynch has the character or leadership that a Drew Locke has. And you talk about uh, Drew Locke's leadership has been praised by the Missouri coaches, and it's actually been called contagious. Now, when he got over to the Senior Bowl, John Gruden was harassing him during the throughout the week during practice, telling him communicate with your players more, communicate, 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 and then he was really, really uh, getting on him for his cadence. Because you know you hear Daniel Jones' cadence, and and it probably echoes throughout the empty stadium. And then Dan, you know Drew Locke, it's like, hey, Gruden's getting on him, and you know that could be a sign that Drew, Gruden likes him mm-hmm. because you know he wouldn't be going out of his way to critique him and coach him up if he didn't want to see how he responded. And that's what you saw Gruden do on that QB camp show with ESPN. So there's a lot of whispers, a lot of murmurs, a lot of rumors. It is smokescreen season, but you got to be careful what you wish for. Now, I will tell you, Antonio Brown told one of my draft Bible guys personally, they're looking at a quarterback. They want, they prefer Kyler Murray, but if they don't get him, I still think they might be in the hunt for a quarterback, and I think Drew Locke could possibly wind up with the Raiders. That's interesting. And uh, quarterback, I'm 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 probably the most familiar with because I do you know write about Auburn for Last Word in College Football is Jarrett Stidham, and I have been labeled a Jarrett Stidham apologist uh, this past season. <laughs> I uh, I was I was going to die on that mountain. I I just tell you there in this past season, uh, but. You look at a quarterback that going into last season was looked as a guy that could be a potential first round draft pick. And mm. then the season went the way it did. You know, the previous year he was a 67% passer, won SEC newcomer of the year. Past year, the percentage went down to 61. The yardage went down. I think, I don't think everything that happened with Auburn was on Jarrett Stidham, but I do see the issues. He holds on to the ball sometimes too long. And sometimes I do believe he leaves the pocket too early. Pocket awareness, I think, is maybe his biggest issue. When you look at Jarrett Stidham, what are you seeing? I mean, because we've, we've seen positive things come 
since the bowl game, you know, the senior mm-hmm. bowl particularly. So it seems like which Jarrett Stidham are we going to get is a big question. No, I think you're you're right on, obviously, with, with your assessment. And it's it's frustrating to watch because, you know, like you said, coming into the season, he had a couple big-time wins two years ago in the SEC. Uh, tremendous, tremendous poise in the pocket. And you're saying, hey, this kid's the next best thing since sliced bread. But, you know, like you said, you can't blame him for everything. But, you know, you, you talk about the, the completion percentage with um, – lock how it improved each season well you know stidham's has decreased each you know he went from 68 percent to down to 60 percent i think you know the last three years so you know the problem for me was this past season under pressure he just crumbled like a cheap suit and you know that was the issue with me now to your point you you know, which you know, Will Greer fits under this category too because, you know, Will Greer had a great senior season on film and then he flunked <laughs> at the senior bowl in the combine. Whereas, you know, Stidham had a terrible season on film and then he did outstanding at the senior bowl, in my opinion. And he had a pretty solid combine. But to me, at the, at the senior bowl, you really saw a well put together quarterback who had all the fundamentals, the mechanics, the quick release, the smooth delivery. And he said, Hey man, this is great. Now, again, how's that going to translate when he's under pressure at the next level? Because, you know, it seems like when the pocket shrinks, Stidham panics and, you know, that's a lot to be said. And that's why he's talked about as a day two quarterback, rather than a day one. Yeah, that's going to be interesting with him. And can I just say selfishly, I hope he is somewhat successful so I can be validated in my defending him week after week during the college football season. Well, hey, listen, you know what? We talked about Brady. This would be a perfect pick. You talk about the Patriots, I think they mm-hmm. got a, at least a dozen picks. Now, day two comes around, and, and listen, New England has done quite well. You talk about Matt Castle and – Jacoby Brissett and um, even Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, these guys, I mean, they've traded off more quarterbacks. That goes back to the Bill Walsh philosophy, which I subscribe to. And 32, again, you're right there on the fence, but Bill Walsh drafted a quarterback every year. Mm-hmm. And they had third string quarterbacks. I mean, they went Joe Montana, Steve Young, uh, Elvis Gerback, Steve Bono. Uh, the list goes on and on. And when you have quality quarterbacks you have more equity and and you can trade these guys off for draft picks but Stidham is a guy hey I would love to sit him behind Brady for a couple years watch him develop because he's smart and he can learn from Brady and he has the mechanics and the fundamentals down pat now if he can just sit in the the QB room with the with TB12 for a couple years hey this is a guy I had a scout tell me at the senior bowl if you know out of all the quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl, if they had to pull the trigger on one guy and develop as a developmental guy, they would take Jared Stidham. Hmm, that's interesting. So, you know, I think in terms of a developmental quarterback, and especially day two, like after the big four are gone and Daniel Jones and, and Drew Locke, you could throw those guys in the mix with Haskins and, and Murray. I think those tier two guys, you got Stidham, you got Will Greer, and I like the Buffalo kid, Tyree Jackson. But, 
you know, I think those are your, your developmental guys that you say, hey, there's some stuff that we can work with here. And, and there's flashes that he has shown, um, you know, and I even said in the draft Bible, it would not be surprising if he outplays a lot of the quarterbacks that go ahead of him in the long run. Wow, it's going to be interesting in uh, all these quarterbacks, see where they land and see what happens. Uh, it's always a fun part about the draft. And, uh, Rick, I'll tell you, this has been fun uh, talking about all these quarterbacks. Uh, can't yeah. wait a couple of weeks. And uh, if the listeners want to follow you online, uh, where can they find you? Hey, we're out there. You know, you can follow me on Twitter at Rick Saratella. That's a R-I-C without the K. S-E-R-R-I-T-E-L-L-A and uh, you know Rick at NFL Draft Bible R-I-C at NFL Draft Bible dot com and of course go, go get that Draft Bible it's over there at the NFL Draft Scout dot com and up there in the menu bar you'll see the uh, link for the immediate download of course Phil we're going to be sending a copy over your way brother and you know let's uh, let's recap all the uh, shenanigans that transpired during that weekend in Nashville Oh, uh, yeah. I look forward to it. Uh, that'd be a lot of fun to do. And uh, once again, Rick, uh, thanks for coming on the show. And I uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime down the road. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Rick for being here on the show today. A lot of fun talking to him about the draft and quarterbacks. You guys know I'm kind of a quarterback nerd. So anytime I get to talk quarterbacks, break down quarterbacks, I'm always excited to do that here on the show. Uh, he talked about Josh Rosen there, who was, you know, one of the first-round picks last season uh, by the Arizona Cardinals. Of course, it looks like they're probably going to take Kyler Murray, number one pick. So, Josh Rosen, what do you do there? I mean, I've seen teams offering a second-round pick. That's what's been in the news people have been talking about. And if you can get him, get him if you need a quarterback. And I agree with Rick that Josh Rosen, if he was coming out of college this time, he would probably be the first pick. He'd be the first quarterback i take. Guess, guess Arizona wouldn't take him, though. They, they would take Kyler Murray still. So he'd probably be the second one, but he is the best quarterback compared to the guys coming out now because he is ready to start, was ready to start. He's capable of starting. Uh, he was just in a bad situation for him, I believe, there in Arizona. A couple teams that would he would make great sense for. The Giants would be one, make a trade for the Giants. The Patriots will be another one because then he could sit behind Brady for another year or two and then learn, and then he's three years in and he's ready to start. He's learned behind the greatest quarterback of all time. Another option would be the Green Bay Packers. Look, Aaron Rodgers, 35, 36 years old. He's probably got four or five years left anyways. So his window is closing. And what did the Packers do when, at this point in Brett Favre's career? They drafted a quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. And so now Aaron Rodgers, look, he's closer to the end than he is the beginning, obviously. Bring in Josh Rosen, let him sit for years. I really think Rosen and Rodgers are a lot alike. Maybe in a lot of the Bleach Report article from last week, that might not be necessarily a good trait. But they have that sense of confidence, a swagger about them. Uh, they believe in their abilities. So I think Rosen would be a good fit there in Green Bay as well. Young quarterback. Then you have somebody that can come in and take over and... You know, continue what you you know he was doing with Favre and Rodgers, and then you could do that with Rosen. I don't think the Packers would do it. That is a completely a Patriots move. So it will be interesting to see who does trade for Josh Rosen, and if whoever does is going to get a fantastic quarterback. All right, we're going to switch gears now. We're going to talk college football spring games, and I do that. I talked to Bill Bender 
earlier in the day, and I'm going to play that conversation for you guys right now. All right, everybody, joining me now on the show is Bill Bender, Sporting News National College Football writer. Uh, Bill, uh, welcome back to the show. Hey, Philip, how you doing? It's good to see you. Or hear do. from you, I guess. I didn't see you, but uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Yeah, just you can just go look at my Twitter photo. I guess you want to see me, but yeah, it's all it's always good to have you on the show. Uh, we're in the midst, I guess, in the middle of the spring game season. Spring practice has been going on for you know good two months now. Um, when you look at these spring games, just when you just watch one or you're covering one, what's the, usually your main thing you're looking for? Um, early enrollees, you kind of see who pops a little bit. Um, if there's a new coordinator, you kind of try to pick up some scheme wise differences with the team and. You know, obviously, new coach, same deal there. I think uh, the big thing for me is you hope nobody gets hurt, and that's that's always the number one priority because you want to see these guys play in fall camp. But, yeah, so this is the weekend. I mean, it seems like, you know, Clemson played last week, obviously, but most of the heavy hitters are going on Saturday, and I'll be in Columbus watching Ohio State. Yeah, I, I was thinking over this weekend when it came up into Friday and I looked at schedule. It felt like last weekend spring games j- – snuck up on me then i was like you know then looking at the schedule for this week it's loaded with heavy hitters for this week's spring games yeah and you know typically i go to all the ones and they're all on the same weekend i go to notre dame or michigan or michigan state and they're all playing this weekend too so yeah it's and it's early it seems like i think a lot of the coaches because the i guess the what's the word i'm looking for the calendar's getting pushed off up with media days getting pushed up earlier and those kind of things, they've moved spring games up a little earlier. I remember a time when it was, you know, April 20th, April 27th, when a lot of these games would fire off. But I think it's just a product of, as you know, the calendar for football in general gets pushed up a little bit more each year. And, and this is an example this year. Yeah, it even feels like, I don't know about you, it feels like the draft is a week earlier this year, too. And I don't know if that had something to do with the fact is that some of these got pushed up, too. You don't want to be competing with that as well. Right, and then, you know, you figure in Easter, and I'm just saying, before I got on the phone with you, I I was kind of mapping out the rest of my month, and this is obviously a big sports week for other reasons. It's competing with, these spring games are competing with the Masters. They're competing with, you know, things like Avengers. I'm not a comic, I I don't know if you're a comic book guy, I don't really care about Endgame, and I get roasted for saying that, but, you know, I am Game of Thrones. So I know that's like the thing I'm probably most excited about this week is the the return of that show, if anything else. I think you're safe on making anybody mad with Endgame. I don't think my two to two audiences cross over with my show, but I, you know, (laughs) maybe, maybe, I mean, I am going, I have bought my reserve ticket for it, but, you know, I don't think there's a lot of crossover there. So I think we're, we're safe. I do not think you'll get any tweets after saying that comment. Um, Well, I mean, some people like Endgame, some people like Game of Thrones, some people like both. That's fine. You know, some people don't like golf, but I like all of them. I think it is a, a an interesting window to compete against all that. So in terms of us getting, like, real interest, probably not over the top. I mean, I think, again, people just don't want their guys to get hurt. But in your case down there, I would never say that because I know how serious people will take the Alabama and Auburn spring games. Those are, those are a big deal down there, and we all know why. Most definitely, I'm I'm going to be a uh, in the in the attendance for the Auburn one, so I am looking forward to that. Um, before we jump in Alabama and Auburn, though, uh, Ohio State, and you said you're going to be at that one covering uh, the Buckeyes and their spring game. I believe it's at 11 a.m. Central Time when they start. Um, 
interesting there for them. New coach, Ryan Day, Justin Fields at quarterback. A lot of storylines around them going into their spring game. Sure. I mean, it's a team that uh, definitely a lot going on. Um, I went to practice last week, and it's business as usual, at least for now. I mean, they're going to have a super talented team that's going to compete for a Big Ten championship. They've got some new freshmen stepping in, like Zach Harrison, who's going to be a beast off the edge. they got Justin Fields, obviously, from Georgia. A lot of people know about him, want to talk about him. And they're gonna, and Garrett Wilson, a freshman receiver, five-star kid, they're all going to contribute. So, what for now, it's business as usual. But as I've been telling people the whole time, you know, you'll, you'll learn more about Ryan Day when they play their first big game. And that's not going to be against Florida Atlantic or – you know, their opener, it's going to be when they go go to Nebraska on September 28th. That's when you'll start to figure out if Ryan Day has the same kind of chops that Urban Meyer did for so many years in Columbus in those big games. Yeah, you know, you're talking about Justin Fields. I know, like you said, everybody's excited about him, but the receiver position, I mean, Ohio State's going to have some guys are going to have to move up in the depth chart. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit their receiver position because, I mean, they lost a lot from last year at that spot. If three guys going to the NFL, um, you know, Johnny Dixon, Terry McLaurin, and um, Paris Campbell all play, they, they all performed very well at the Combine. So they're all going to end up on NFL rosters. And now you look for guys like Austin Mack, former four star receiver. I mentioned Garrett Wilson. He's popped in spring practice. They like him a lot. And, you know, in that Ryan Day scheme, built on a lot of crossing routes, a lot of kind of mesh concepts, some vertical game where, you know, it's kind of like a misdirection then they hit somebody on the other backside going vertical. A lot of speed. you got to have speed to play in that scheme, and um, you got to have a guy that can spread the ball around. So I think that's what everybody's going to watch. How does Justin Fields kind of spread the ball around like what Dwayne Haskins really mastered last year with 50 touchdown passes for the Buckeyes? Yeah, and when you look at them, you know, for next this upcoming season, you know, as I don't, you think it's going to be a lot of talk with, but just them in Michigan at that game again, once again at the end, with Jim Harbaugh trying to beat them, which he hasn't been able to do, which you know that was over Meyer with Ryan Day, you know that matchup. I know that's a long ways away, but just it seems like from here, you know, from an outside view, Big Ten had always talked about it's of course Ohio State and Michigan. Well, that's where the conference, uh, those two schools move the needle the most. That's no secret. Those two schools, uh, you know, it's been the story for Harbaugh. I think that game, they they got a lot of games before that game that they've got to take care of. That's what they did last year. They went 10-1 and one and put themselves in position to do that, and it didn't go the way they wanted, obviously. And, you know, he's going to have to answer for that. I mean, Urban's gone. Michigan's pretty talented coming back. New offensive coordinator in Josh Gaddis bringing him from Alabama. They're going to throw the ball more, at least in theory. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they respond in Ann Arbor this year. But they have uh, a tougher schedule. they got to play Iowa. they got to play Notre Dame at home. they got to play at Wisconsin, at Penn State. There's not a lot of gimmies on that schedule for the Wolverines. So they've got a long way to go before they got to worry about the Buckeyes. But, uh, yeah, obviously that's the game everybody will watch the most. Oh, no doubt here. I'm going to start Alabama. And I feel last few weeks I've talked to people about Alabama, what they think about this, their spring game, their spring, and going into next season. And for me, my big thing I'm curious about Alabama 
is not really on the field. They're talented there. They're talented there. I mean, they're going to replace guys. That's what they do there. But it's how they respond to what happened against Clemson because they have never been through that at Alabama with Nick Saban. I mean, yes, they've lost. They've lost close games, but they've never been dominated. They've never been blown out before. So my I guess my feeling is the attitude, how Alabama is going to come out, just how they do in the spring, fall practice, and the start next season, recovering and coming back from that kind of loss. Yeah, I mean, it's blow by blow. It happens every year, you know. They've got these teams that Clemson responded to what Alabama did to them, and now it's Alabama's turn. And, you know, the last couple times that Alabama lost the playoff game, they responded with a national championship twice, in fact. So, I think that's the expected response. Now, saying that out loud and watching it unfold are two very different things. It's not easy to just go win a national championship. But they have a ton of talent, obviously, starting with Tua, Heisman runner-up, probably be a Heisman favorite along with Trevor Lawrence. They've got Jerry Judy might be the best player in college football. Um, I don't back down from saying that. And, you know, their defense will find some guys that can play too. So the coaching changes of uh, – Attracted a lot of attention, but I think Alabama is one of those schools, obviously, that'll be right back in the mix. But yeah, you're, we're all watching kind of see how do they respond to what happened last year. Oh, what is your feeling on the effect Sarkeesian will have with Tua? Um, I think it'll be good. I mean, his short stint as offensive coordinator wasn't bad. I mean, you go back to that Clemson game, call it a good game. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they had a. Uh, Dylan Hurts took the ball down the field on that last drive. They had a chance to win the game because they won. They they did their part. It was the defense that didn't get a stop there. So I think as uh, I talked to Greg McElroy about this earlier in the year, and you know you'll you'll probably see a little bit more drop back. Maybe uh, maybe they'll stick with what works. I mean they scored a ton of points last year with it, and it's not like two is going to be bad all of a sudden. He played well. He's a little skittish in the championship game, but. You know, the big reason why is Clemson's got probably three or four of those guys are going to have to hear their names called in the first couple hours of the NFL draft here in this month. Oh, most definitely. And then, you know, when you look at Auburn, what they got, and of course, it's, this is a big spring, and next season will be huge for Gus Malzahn. He's going to start on the hot seat. I mean, he's got to just how everything transpired at the end of last season. But obviously, they're looking for a quarterback. And uh, defensively, that should be good. Just when you look at Auburn's situation, just what is your read? I think, you know, you see, are we going to see the team that we saw in the bowl game that was fast? I mean, obviously, Stidham's gone, and you have a question at quarterback. But, I mean, that was a good-looking team. And mm-hmm. Gus on had his fingerprints all over the offense in that game, and, and they played really well. So is that the offense we're going to see? I think they have a tone setter game right off the right off the go against Oregon and Jerry World. Got to win that one, and um, you know. But from a wins loss standpoint, they're nearly impossible to predict on a year to year basis, and that's not going to change this year. So I mean, Auburn could go six and six. They could go ten and two, and I really wouldn't be surprised either way. Yeah, they got to be one of the biggest Jekyll teams in all of college football because. It's like for them, it's always been for me living here is, you know, pretty much the whole life when they're expected to be really good. They're usually aren't. And then when nobody's talking about them is when they usually have a great season. Well, yeah. And I mean, most people are just assuming that Gus is on the hot seat right now. And there's been a lot that's gone into that over the last couple of years, even when they were winning, you know, Arkansas was flirting with Gus Malzahn. So, um, We'll see. I mean, they, they face the same challenge that everybody else in the West does. you got to go through Alabama, but 
you also got to go through LSU and Texas A&M and, uh, you know, Mississippi State. So, and then the teams in the East as well. So it's not an easy, and of course, you know, Auburn plays Georgia in November and that's not a game that's, that's easy on the schedule either considering what Kirby Smart's built in Athens. Yeah, and uh, when you look at SEC as a whole, I mean, you look at it, I mean, you're going to say Alabama and Georgia. Most people would assume, you know, those are the two juggernauts. Those are the top two teams in the conference. But when you look at the rest of the conference, who's that third team that maybe potentially could give one of those two trouble? Um, Well, I, I think LSU, maybe. You know, Joe Burrow's back, and they, they won their bowl game. I think Florida has a ton of momentum right now with Dan Mullen and the quarterback problem seem to be fixed a little bit. Their defense is good. They're building off 10-win season. So, I mean, those two is where I would start, but there are others. Um, A&M's got a really tough schedule, but Jimbo's done some work there. I mean, they've upgraded their their attitude, essentially, because they're always going to have the talent coming out of Texas, and they just had a huge recruiting class as well. So, I mean, those five, they'll all be in the mix, and, and that's pretty good. And, you know, that the, the next tier, the Auburn, the Tennessee, the – the teams that, that have work to do, I mean, they can still beat you on any given week. Most definitely. And uh, quickly, before I let you go, uh, as uh, the ACC with Clemson, uh, do you see anybody in ACC giving them trouble? Not this year, but I mean, Miami, many days will get Miami going a little bit. Um, you know, they got a tough game at Syracuse, uh, but I think that offense has so many playmakers with Lawrence around him, ETN two running backs behind and Feaster. Their, their receivers is what stood out in the spring game. They've got so many targets for him to throw to. It's going to be ridiculous. It's going to be hard to stop Clemson. And they play Texas A&M, Georgia Tech, and Syracuse early in the season. They get through those three, they're going to be a good bet to go 12-0 and again. So it's not going to be easy to stop them. I, I think of them, and this has been written a few times, totally an original idea. You think of them – as you would think of Florida State in the 90s, that they have that talent that they're going to be in the top five every year and it's on you to knock them out. That's definitely. And uh, it's, spring is nice. We get a taste of college football, but then we, after it's over, we all look forward to media days when the season does finally get here. But it ties us over until we get to fall. So it's the spring is a good time for college football fans. And uh, Bill, always great to have you on the show i appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on the show for 15 minutes and talk college football and so listeners want to follow your line where can they find you yeah i'm at bill bender 92 at sporting news and uh like you phil just excited to go it'll be fun to have some spring games this weekend and some football to watch and like you said before you know it you blink and media days are here so uh thanks for having me on and uh hopefully we can do it again soon oh yeah most definitely i look forward to talking to you again sometime down the road thank you Time now to look at the biggest news in the world of football with today's Quick Slants. All right, first up on Quick Slants, the continued beef on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff between Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, Antonio Brown put a screenshot out there of a DM that Juju Smith-Schuster sent him when Smith-Schuster was still in college at USC. Said, what's up, AB? I'm a receiver at the University of Southern California. Preach all, all your work. You're a great man on and off the field. Do you have any tips that can help take my game to the next level? Thanks, man. Now, this all started, of course, to kind of re- recap. A Steelers fan tweeted at Antonio Brown on Sunday about Steelers naming Smith Schuster 
the team MVP. He went off the bat to fumble. The Saints game that cost the Steelers the playoffs. And then Smith Schuster, I think, was pretty classy. I mean, he did retort, but he was not, you know, crazy or anything like that, what A.B. is doing. You know, just how he showed him love, respect, and all that stuff. Can't believe his ego has gone away. It's gone. So now, Antonio Brown puts this out there. And what was he trying to accomplish? You just proved the show that Smith Schuster's a good guy trying to get better, reaching out to one of the best receivers in the National Football League to get tips, to get advice on how to get better. So how how, how does that screenshot of that DM make you look any better, Antonio Brown? It doesn't. Uh, it makes you look worse. I mean, you're showing that Smith Schuster's a good guy, that he thought you were. And and here's what I'm seeing with this. And this is my take on this whole Antonio Brown Steelers situation. Antonio Brown is one of the best receivers in the NFL, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer from the numbers he has put up in his time. Fantastic numbers, numbers we've never seen at the receiver position. He obviously didn't get along with Ben Roethlisberger. You just miss Schuster has been praised by Ben Roethlisberger. The Steelers organization knows that Juju is the future at receiver, and the Steelers have a history of doing this, and I talked about this on Monday's show, too. When Santonio Holmes left, Mike Wallace stepped in. When Mike Wallace was gone not too long after, Antonio Brown became the guy. The Steelers have done a fantastic job at drafting wide receivers. That dates back to Bill Cowher. And the Steelers are going with the right guy here in Juju. Antonio Brown's a problem. He's not helping the team. He was a bad element. I believe him and Le'Veon Bell are addition by subtraction. I think the Steelers are going to win the AFC North. And I'm not ready to bow down to the brand new Cleveland Browns quite yet. See if you can get all them characters and them elements to play well together. And we don't know what kind of coach Freddie Kitchens is as a head coach. He's done well as an assistant as a position coach and coordinator last year. But we don't know what he is as a head coach at managing all those personalities. And it looks, this reminds me of a relationship that has ended and one person cannot let it go. I've been there. We've all been there. Relationships end. You kind of pretend you're moving on. You're okay, but you're not really okay. You still got the other person on your mind. The Steelers are the one they actually got broke up with. Antonio Brown wanted to go. The Steelers probably wanted to keep him around if they could, if he would, you know, be happy and they could fix it. He's obviously a talent, and you you usually don't want to lose talented players. But it just had to happen. So the breakup happened. The Steelers have moved on. They're looking forward. They're happy. They've got rid of that toxic element in their life. And just a side note for anybody out there with a relationship or past relationship, dealing with a breakup, if there's any part of it that's toxic, you need to get rid of it. Just do it. But the Steelers are good. They're fine. They're moving on with their life. They're looking forward to the future. They hate how it ended. But, you know, both, they know both parties are better at the end of the day. But Antonio Brown is the one that's pretending to move on. His new girlfriend is the Raiders. And... They gave you a lot of money. You're happy. That relationship on you're trying to show on the surface is is healthy. 
uh, is good. You don't have that past relationship on your mind. But the way you're acting toward the Steelers, which that was a fan that tweeted at you. Juju Smith-Schuster didn't say anything to you. Ben Roethlisberger hasn't said anything to you. Mike Tomlin hasn't said anything to you. The Steelers organization, they're not worried about you anymore, Antonio Brown. But you're worried about them. You keep looking back at the old relationship, and you're not moving on. And the Steelers are living rent-free in your head. And that's going to affect you on the field if that continues. And then he came out on Tuesday night and said, I'm not going to give the media any more ammo. Let's hope not. You should move on. It's over. Your time with the Steelers, that's over. You're not playing each other this year. You should not be worrying about the Steelers. You should be worrying about creating a cohesive connection with Derek Carr, with your head coach, John Gruden, and getting the Raiders back to the playoffs where they want to be. You were brought in to do that. You were brought in to take the Raiders to that next level offensively and turn this team into a playoff contender. But I don't think you can do that if you're still worried about what's going over with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the Pittsburgh Steelers are fine. Addition by subtraction. And the Raiders just, they got a headache. I think I think Antonio Brown is the new Terrell Owens. And he is going to cause a constant headache for the, the Raiders. This year, the Oakland Raiders, who, you know, whenever they get to Las Vegas. Um, finally, you know, that, that was really only a new topic I really wanted to hit on. As I talked with Bill Bender, we do have some spring games this weekend, which we really only touched on the Ohio State, Alabama, and Auburn ones. But some notable games, uh, Kentucky plays theirs on Friday night. That'll be over on the SEC Network. Uh, Oklahoma plays theirs Friday. Uh, that'd be interesting. Jalen Hurts, uh, be interested to see him in the Oklahoma uniform. Other teams, big course, we talked about Ohio State's play. They're playing theirs on Saturday. Uh, Notre Dame, they have theirs this coming Saturday. Be interested to see, you know, they're coming off being in the playoff. You know, what's this team going to look like? What are they going to show us here? Florida, a lot of way, uh, rave reviews. Uh, you think I have never talked before. Uh, Positive reviews for Felipe Franks at quarterback. Let's, you know, when we talked to Gator Dave a couple weeks ago, really seems like he has got a stranglehold on the quarterback position. You would expect to see Felipe Franks to start quarterback against Miami to open up the season. Uh, Wisconsin does play theirs. Uh, Alabama, we talked about them. They'll, they'll be kicking theirs off at 2 o'clock over on ESPN2. Michigan State, I'll be interesting in the Big Ten. Uh, Mississippi State plays there. Uh, I'm interested in that one because I want to see how they look without Nick Fitzgerald. How how will the offense go forward? Texas A&M, they keep an eye on them. I really think they could be one of the contenders outside of Alabama and Georgia. As Bill Bender was talking about, you know, that could that be one of the teams that jumps to that third spot, which is going to be a interesting, I think, development next year for the SEC. Who is that third team? Uh, you will have Auburn, which I will be at that one. That's a 3 o'clock game there. Uh, Tennessee plays theirs. Texas has theirs. So a lot of big ones coming up this weekend. Uh, and I guess for me, kind of get out of here on this note, ranking the SEC teams 1 through 5. I go Alabama 1, Georgia 2. I'm actually going to go Florida 3, LSU 4, Texas A&M 5. That's how I think I'm going to go with that group. Uh, 
announcements for next week's show. Only going to do one. Uh, tried to do the experiment this week, doing multiple shows. They're going to go back to one right now. I probably will consider going to two shows a week during the football season, though. Feel like that will be something we need to do. Have more than one show then, but that's awesome. We'll, we'll just kind of dial it back to the one show and i'm trying to potentially work on something new another podcast i may be in the works trying to figure some stuff out but i'll keep you guys updated on that uh i will have a co-host starting next week uh brandon eiserman uh one of my colleagues over at last world on college football where he covers lsu and troy uh, he'll sure be joining me next week to co-host and uh, we'll be recapping all these spring games. My take about being at Auburn. And, uh, of course, we'll have a pretty fantastic guest coming on the show as well. And, uh, guys, if you check this out, please share it out on your favorite social media accounts. Really appreciate it if you guys would do that. Help uh, spread the word on the show. Uh, once again, thanks to Rick Saratella and Bill Bender for being on. Fantastic uh, conversations with them. You can follow me on Twitter at PJordanFootball. Uh, you can find the show on Twitter at cover to show uh, you can find the show on facebook the cover Two football podcast you can check it out there very easy to find check it out on apple podcast google play music soundcloud spreaker spotify tune in and youtube and if you're on apple podcast please subscribe rate and review the show we appreciate it when you do that if you leave a review i will read it on a future edition of the show uh, no cover Two inbox on today's show we'll, we'll bring that back next week and uh you can social media best place to ask a question or give a topic idea or whatever or you can email me at sports talk philip jordan at gmail.com and i will put a link to where you can find the nfl draft bible in the description of the show so if you want to go check that out as well anyways guys until next week bye bye you for downloading the cover two with philip jordan tune in next week for more great college and professional football talk and subscribe on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts